Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your weekend sports car show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. And who else? A vagrant rummaging around in the background there, better known as Graham Goodwin, uh, speaker of words, talker of thoughts, writer of notions, all for the mighty DailySportsCar.com. Not yearly, SportsCar.com. Daily. Nope sportscar.com how are you this fine eve in the land of united kingdoms i'm great good evening everybody uh from uh, dark and cold uh, uh, just to the south of london here uh, back in the uk uh, after a trip to imola we'll be talking about that i'm sure later in the show and the uh, the double launch public launch for ferrari very unusual indeed and sort of getting my act together ahead of the next and possibly last trip of the year, uh, which is going to be to Bahrain for the FIWC season finale. And that, I'm sure, will be where we get to next week's Week in Sports Cars. We arrive there Wednesday evening and we'll be there through to uh, the end of Monday, uh, which includes the... Uh, the rookie test we've just seen the entry list for that some very interesting names on that so all good uh busy but good um a hectically busy time of the year for a variety of reasons some of which as we often say will become obvious in the days weeks and months to come but uh particularly so at the moment lots of exciting stuff in the background uh which i hope we can bring to our listeners my readers um in due course mp so what's uh, what's been going on over stateside lots going on in the world of the gtp the uh, grand turtle type protos something <laughs> no wait a minute those are dps thankfully those are no longer a part of our world uh you know we should first of all before we talk about the modern gtp cars we should just mm-hmm. extend a note of thank you and appreciation to bob riley his son bill riley and all that they have done for us this weekend as we are speaking right now the uh the hsr series historic sports mm-hmm. car racing owned by imsa purchased that a little over a year ago uh hsr hsr is doing their annual 24-hour vintage enduro at daytona and the featured mark and person that would happen to be Riley Technologies, Bob Riley, and Bill Riley. There's a, a fine assortment of cars from GTP to LMP1 to GT vehicles, all kinds of things that they have created. Saw a fine photo of, uh, of the Rileys plus uh, some of those cars at Daytona. So just wanted to say a big thanks to them because they really and truly are awesome. Other than that... Not too far away from Daytona, a two-ish hour drive south in Sebring. We just had the very recent conclusion of endurance testing. Mm. Our friends at Acura BMW and Cad Olac were there. Of those three, Cadillac put out a press release this morning saying they're now up to 19,000 kilometers and I'm an American, so I'm going to have to multiply that by 0.6. And anyways, uh, 19,000 kilometers of testing so far with their naturally aspirated V8-powered GTP car. BMW is there. Birdies, little birdies tell me that they might not have 
concluded as many consecutive hours of running as Cadillac uh, Acura as well. Heard the Acura was quick like a bunny, just not able to do all of those consecutive hours in a row that they might have been hoping to do. Same with BMW. So not a surprise that of the three manufacturers I'm aware of that were there, the one that did complete 24 hours successfully sent out a press release saying that. And we would have to assume from what we have heard, nothing formal, right? Just you speak to folks and they tell you things, you go, okay. And based on who's telling you those things, Graham, right? That also helps you to understand the level of truthiness. I can say the last person that I spoke with about this stuff, uh, 100% truthiness. No question about the words being shared based on who they were and what they know and what they saw. Um, So, yeah. What does that mean? Sky is falling. No, it's testing. It's still testing. Granted, we're kind of getting at that big homologation window narrowing down to nothing. And we aren't too far away from going motor racing here with this new GTP class. Still, though, uh, granted... These are not the kind of things you'd want to be happening, have happening now in early November, but every manufacturer has told us so far, and we're going to get to a new prototype that was unveiled uh, in just a moment, but uh, every manufacturer we've spoken with, Graham, that has these new hybrid prototypes in motion, getting ready for 2023 debuts, they've all told us everything's way behind. We wish we had more time. We wish we could somehow suspend time and test and then when we got really happy with where we're at kind of undo the pause button and let time move again so you don't like to hear about things still being significantly problematic of the two manufacturers i mentioned that had issues i'll reserve from saying which one but i'm aware that one of them packed up and left early uh so yeah things that if we were talking about this brother in june july august wouldn't we just wouldn't speak about it anymore because it'd be totally normal nothing to say nothing to see here the fact that we're talking about this happening november second third whatever it might have been uh yeah i think there's there's still some concerns going on here yeah it's it, 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 it we're into the end game here aren't we i mean there are sanctioned tests to come two i think Preseason, all right, or is it just one now? I know that we have the December six seven at okay. Daytona, which I'll be at. So uh, if there's another, and I gather as well, there will be one after Daytona and before Sebring. I would think so. Yeah, is my understanding. I uh, bumped into a senior member of the IMSA family at Emmeland last weekend, um, and we're only a chat through those uh, options and possibilities steve imsa you bumped into steve, steve imsa yeah <laughs> yes sorry um Jimsa. yes well uh, but so yeah lots lots i mean absolutely lots to savor and whilst we've now had two manufacturers cadillac saying they had their 24-hour test porsche tested for I think, was it three and a half three weeks years. without even fueling the car? Yes. Um, that's what was going on there. So there are some very good signs in terms of progress, in particular with that spec hybrid system. If you're running that kind of mileage, then that 
does seem to indicate that what had been a problematic part of the equation is less so. But there are still going to be some significant wrinkles to be lined out for those cars. And to my mind, MP, just makes the thought of throwing the dice of the start of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship next year with a 24-hour race all the more exciting and intriguing. If it weren't for the LMP2 and Ooh. LMP3 classes, Graham Goodwin, yep. I would say there would be a very strong possibility of celebrating the 20-year anniversary of all the uh, Daytona Proto Turtles breaking <laughs> and a Porsche GT car winning overall the 2003 Rolex 24 being with a daily sports car sticker in the rear window that I put there. Yes. During a pit stop. Nonetheless, that was, that was wild <laughs> motivation by you. No, it's, uh, it was under braking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Who's you, that guy? You've seen the, uh, those t-shirt cannons that they fire at games out into the crowd. You developed the world's first, uh, sticker cannon firing daily sports car stickers onto cars as they went by. Uh, but yeah, if it weren't for P2 and P3, I, I'd say that we had pretty would have pretty strong odds of uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary of that GT car winning overall by that yeah. happening again, all due to failures. But uh, anyways, famous last words. Why do we do this? We have some great questions assembled by our friend. He is a friend. When we say that, we mean it. Daniel Summerskill. Uh, he put together some of them, uh, them word questions we done got from them people who listen to this star show. And, uh, I say we should start off talking about the launch of the new Ferrari 499P LMH, and they also unveiled the uh, 296 GT3. Yeah, and publicly, yes. Yes, and so I need to raise my hand. You can't see it unless you squint, uh, but <laughs> I need to raise my hand and say, having seen the car now, that this being the uh, LMH in its full livery, yep. I got to backtrack 100% and say, well, granted, I think the car looked like ass in its camo testing livery with the kind of uh, rabbit ears poking up in the back everywhere. I just thought it looked like hell. I'm not saying I, I love that anymore, but yeah. dressed in the livery that it was unveiled in, uh, I got to say, totally wrong. I think this car looks really, really, really nice. It, it does look the part, and the the the, the choice of colors inspired it was great to see the car revealed publicly. So, so to explain how this all happened, uh, what well, first things first, anybody from Ferrari that's listening, thank you so much for the hospitality you showed to me and to a number of colleagues. It was very classily done. Um, and it's not something we've had in my memory from Ferrari before because we've not had a car this significant in our world in my memory um, professionally before. Uh, but we were given the opportunity under embargo and with all cameras covered to see the car, to hear from some of the, the key people behind the project. Um, the afternoon before it was revealed to um, the public, the the uh, the live media and Ferrari's enormous number of special guests in an absolutely massive event marquee. Uh, to give you an idea how massive, uh, the car um, from the stage where it was revealed drove down the middle. It was like a, a catwalk uh, down to ground level. 
on either side of that catwalk, uh, it was lined with, I think it was 27 Formula One cars down one side with the dinner tables between that the catwalk and hit one of them of sp- and it was given a stop plus 60. Uh, <laughs> um, and a similar number of, of significant sports cars on the left-hand side. Uh, but beautifully done. Um, extraordinary events, uh, the finale mondiale uh, at, uh, at Imola, with, which brought together the end-of-season party, if you like, for the one-make races, the extraordinary XX um, uh, laboratory cars, if you like, which are... You know, an ownership experience for the very, very wealthy, uh, and even more wealthy, uh, the the uh, cliente Formula One cars with a number of people that you and I uh, both know and like. Uh, Enrique Edman in his car was out there. Uh, who else was out there? Alex West, uh, one of the owners of Garage Fifty Nine, was out there, and one of my favourite gentleman drivers at the time, Swiss racer Christoph Ulrich, uh, the always smiling Christoph Ulrich. Um, great to see them out there. Gave us the opportunity to drive the the new 296 GDB road car. What a fabulous little thing that is. Uh, all sorts of good stuff. And then we left on the Sunday, uh, the, the day that actually was revealed on track. So I was on my way home while that was all, all actually happening. It is a stunning looking thing. Uh, it is a bit more LMP looking than I possibly expected it to be. Uh, but it, look hard, and you can see some some really clever little tweaks on that car, some nods to the past. One of the first things I spotted when we first saw the video um, was the front end, just that little air intake, very 512M uh, air intake uh, look to that. Uh, nods towards the 312P uh, as well. And by the way, we shouldn't go through this without mentioning, by the way, the very sad passing of Mauro Foglieri, mm. uh, who amongst the, the cars that he was responsible for and oversaw, not the entire design, but everything MP from the 250 GTO all the way through in sports car terms, that 312. And how ironic that he passed in the year that the Battens passed, you know, with a brand new factory Ferrari for the first time in 50 years. A hugely significant car, um, for a whole number of reasons, not just for the, the biggest brand in the world, but what that is going to bring to sports car racing in terms of visibility and the numbers that we were seeing engaging um, on social media with that story, that it's a word I often use, but it's a mouthwatering prospect. It's a new audience coming to the part of the sport that, you know, that I'm absolutely passionate about. And uh, it was great to be able to spend some time thinking about, to be blunt, one car and one project um, and to try to do something proper with that and very open at the moment to the questions. And, you know, well, let's have a look at, you know, lob a couple of questions by way, MP, rather than me anticipating what we might be asked. Well, I mean, first first and foremost, uh, thank goodness we have Andrew Baca, who's a longtime listener and contributor to the show. And he, this is a plural, but it's singular. I don't think you, you opted into this with me. Uh, Andrew says, I regret to inform the host of this podcast. That they were wrong about the tale of the Ferrari LMH. It looks damn sexy. Does this count as a question now? No, it counts as a, a needed correction. And so I appreciate you. Although, and I'll readily admit, 
I hadn't seen your uh, note here before I apologize. So that wasn't a preemptive uh, strike, Mm -hmm. but this is just, yeah, reaffirming. Look, y'all know I'm an idiot. When I get something right, that should be the thing to celebrate. All the other nonsense, that's just kind of expected. So I was wrong, Andrew, and yes. Um, It doesn't count as a question, but it counts as a submission. So there you go. Uh, Chris Mock, uh, he does indeed. Does he have a question? Yes, he does. He asks, is the 499P LMH program connected to Delara in any way, Graham? Says Ferrari chose LMH to have design freedom, but there are bits and pieces of details that look really similar similar, uh, to the Delara LMDH cars, like the placement of the front brake ducts, roof air intake, and more. Um, and I got to agree with Chris on this, Graham. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that it is an LMH, but if you told me it was uh, just straight up GTP car, I probably wouldn't argue. Uh, so the answer is on that front, famously, they will never really talk about any kind of technical partners they've got. If you ask Ferrari any question about a technical part of their car, that car will have been designed and to a degree built um, in uh marinello that's what they'll tell you have they had um collaboration Uh, the answer is i'm sure they have but it's very clear that a very significant proportion of the design design engineering of this car has happened in-house including by the way uh a significant input into the technical part from the f1 part of the operation so the battery technology for instance and the hybrid system uh, and that, by the way, is the reason why Ferrari have gone for the LMH. They don't want anybody else's parts in their car. So the battery tech that's gone into that is a pure lift from the F1 technology that's used. So um, a lot of openness in terms of some of the choices that they've actually made, including YV6 and not V12. That's the obvious things around the relevance to the road car uh, platforms they've now got. The fact that it is a more efficient um, yeah, unit than the V12 would be weight distribution, actual weight, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All sorts of good reasons. It, having seen some pictures of the packaging of the rear of the car, the rear deck was not taken off for us, but we've seen some pictures of the rear deck uh, of that car. It is an exceptionally neat piece of packaging in that engine bay. Um, serviceability, we'll wait and see. That 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 comes once you actually get the thing. Uh, running and racing but uh in talking to the technical staff behind this car they they are telling us they're ahead of where they hoped and expected to be uh for the reliability and performance of the car and lots of smiles amongst the drivers many of whom are waiting to find out if they're part of the plan for this uh, all the driving squad, by the way, will come from the Ferrari family, not the Ferrari GT team, the Ferrari family. Um, so does that mean we're going to be seeing current F1 drivers? I suspect not. Does it mean we're going to see people that got F1 experience? I suspect yes. Um, so uh, there is, again, a bit of hashtag wait and see. John Lacey, Olivier Beretta, <laughs> come on down. <laughs> Nicola Larini. Well, actually, we did, did have a Beretta moment. And a Fissy Keller moment for that matter. So the, the, where we were kind of rev- we had the reveal of the car was in a couple of pit carriages close to everybody, um, behind closed doors, behind uh, screens with a security checkpoint where all our cameras were covered with stickers on the phones, et cetera, et cetera. 
And pretty clearly, there was quite a huddle of significant numbers of media cameramen because there was some um, some embargoed um, footage uh, available and a fair number of uh, people from the Ferrari senior family. And that did attract the attention of a couple of uh, people, including Olivier Beretta, who was very politely told, no, you can't come in, as was Giancarlo Fisichella. So I can tell you that, uh, yeah, we did see that car before they did. Um, so <laughs> this is, make no mistake, in terms of the visibility of the FI World Endurance Championship, there is a massive opportunity here for everybody to get on uh, a bandwagon that these very significant brands and whatever you feel about the prancing horse, whatever uh, you know alliances you have with brand loyalty elsewhere, there is a reality here is that car with that brand is going to bring, just because it's that, more uh, people's eyes to the FI World Endurance Championship than any other single matter. Uh, no doubt whatsoever about it. The only other thing that could potentially bring more is a major Formula One name coming with that or another car. And I don't think we're going to get that in year one. Um, I don't think we are. But um, it's it's a truly exciting moment, MP. And I did find myself, you know, when I was looking at the car and thinking, I like that, I like that, I'm a little underwhelmed by that, feeling the, the moment there to suspend a degree of constructive criticism and cynicism, just let the moment breathe. And I think we've got that moment, you know. I think we've got the moment where we can start to ask the constructive questions, and we did, by the way, about things like customer cars, and the answer to that is there will be none in 2023. They are very open to it uh, beyond that, and uh, no, no names were were being given. We know that Giuseppe Ricci has made it clear that um, he is keen to evaluate a program. We also know that other significant teams, and the heavy hint was being given here that perhaps at least one of those significant teams might not be a current sports car team, uh, that, that there are those in the mix. We are not going to see 16 of these cars on the grid in 2024. We might, might see a tiny handful of them. Um, but that in itself, I think, is exciting because what that gives us for GTP, what it gives us for hypercar, is it gives us the potential for resilience to the, the, the fickleness of factory racing. Why don't I grab one more Ferrari question for you, and then why don't we move on to some other topics, and thank you to uh, Stephen Gate, John Schultz. I'll uh, apologize, by the way. You will hear some popping and banging in the background. That's because it is 4th of November when we um, we record this, and uh, that tends to mean every asset in the world has gone out and got the fireworks early for November the 5th, which is a thing here in the UK. I don't know what that date signifies so educate me please for it is guy fawkes night it's the night where um guido fawkes attempted to blow up the houses of parliament uh, the gunpowder plot ah, uh, celebrated okay. with fireworks and at the moment i strongly suspect that there might be uh, quite the movement to repeat that feat at the moment <laughs> well the photo i saw of your backyard filled 
just piled sky high with uh, fireworks yeah. that that might yeah. suggest where they're coming from <laughs> um why don't we go with james counter this is okay. many months since i last submitted a question but he hasn't missed the podcast uh says to steal a catchphrase from uk tv hashtag is it okay because i think the new 499p Looks like it stole the rear wing off of the uh, out of the Glickenhaus parts bin. Um, any thoughts there? That's maybe another thought that I had but did not vocalize, but that's why we have great it, question submitters I, like James. Look, the smartest people in motorsport, and in fact, the smartest people in life, uh, will not ignore a good idea from anywhere. And if you can actually enhance that, because there's no doubt in my mind that the fine folks at Ferrari have got significantly more engineering resource at their disposal than the fine folks at Scuderia, Cameron, Glickenhaus. If you can see that as being a solution to a problem you've got, an engineering problem you've got, then why wouldn't you? Am I saying they copied it? No. Am I saying that they wouldn't have looked with a fine tooth comb through every single potential engineering option that was laid out not just by their own evaluation but by everything that's appeared since of course they have because you know what there's a lot of things we can say about ferrari boy there's a lot of things we can say about ferrari but they're not idiots you know they are going to um have a weather eye to hang on a minute that's quite interesting uh, am i telling you that's what they've done no am i telling you that that's what i'd expect them to do yeah Absolutely, I am. I'm expecting that they would have uh, had a basic concept and then a developed concept and then every source of information they can possibly gather from their own engineering studies and from their observations of what the solutions are that everybody else has come up with against the rule book that they're going to compete within. Of course they would. So am I saying that there's a possibility there might be, how can I put this, uh, an homage uh, to an engineering and aerodynamic solution, quite possibly. But I can tell you right now that if you want to ask anybody at Ferrari whether or not that's the case, the answer will be in the negative. Where should we go next, brother man? What else have we got? We got a couple of questions. Stephen Gates and the CM Parfait 16 asking about uh, who expect to be in the driver squad in a variety. Damien Peachman as well asking about that. I don't think we're going to hear about the drivers until probably the new year. Christmas, new year is where I expect we're going to hear that. Asking about the likes of Robert Schwartzman, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. We believe Giovinazzi has driven the car. Um, so that will have given them an opportunity to take a look at him and him an opportunity to take a look at it. Um, I think that's probably not a bad call, uh, but I'm coming at this deep breath from the position of zero knowledge. Hashtag. <laughs> I love go. it. That's my favorite. My favorite. Uh, there you go. Um, I particularly like John Schultz's Johnny Trotz uh, uh, thing here, which says, will Hot Wheels rendition of Ferrari's hypercar also be 499p? Wah, wah, wah. Hey, look at that. Dear, dear, mate. I'm, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually sitting here quietly you know, playing with uh, I got a, a lovely um, holiday uh, present from uh, our good friend Stephen Kilby, who came back and came by uh, yesterday evening for a cup of coffee with Trudy and I. And uh, he's, the the um, amazing matched pair here, MP, of the short wheel-based Audi Quattro in full Audi livery with proper wheels on it and 
allows your 037 in full um, martini livery. Uh, things of great beauty. Uh, and they, they were significantly more than 499 I can tell you that for nothing. Look at the level of preparation there. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think we've got some excitement. I was watching a couple of drivers shifting uneasily in their chairs as they were questioned by the assembled media. And, of course, everybody's trying to find out whether or not, insert name of current Ferrari factory GT driver, um, they've got the nod. Uh, you'd inevitably look, be looking at those that are getting a lot of seat time in the hypercar um, as the ones that are definitely going to be in. And for those, amongst the ones I think are definitely in, Nick Nielsen, uh, Alessandro Pierre Guidi, without a shadow of doubt. We know because one of them told us he's not, and that's Daniel Serra, uh, will be part of the GT programme. Um, it's, I just think it's 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 part of the excitement of what's coming, isn't it? I, I'm not a fan of a programme being revealed in its entirety because I do like the fact that we've just got to put the pieces together. And I think some of the more of those pieces will come together in the weeks and months that come. There you go. Uh, hey, why don't we keep talking words into microphones for, I don't know, the another idea, 15 minutes or so? And what should we do during those 15, Graham? Uh, let's talk about the other Ferrari, the 296. So that we, we got an opportunity to have a good, close look at that. The extraordinary story that's emerging on that car. Uh, by the way, when you get a chance to have a look at that car, Marshall, the detailing on it is, it's a stunning thing. Um, just really neat and tidy, fantastically packaged. Again, some tiny little detailing there, which is uh, is truly extraordinary in it. Um, but this, the amazing thing about that, I, I had a chat with a couple of the senior members of the Ferrari family. And again, they don't tend to give you official figures for production for Ferrari race cars. But if you were to presume that the current 488 GT3, which has been around since 2016, uh, at around 160 cars made, built uh, over that, what is that, six, seven-year period, and probably three dozen or so, 36, 38 uh, GTE cars, and some of those are interchangeable because they can be one and the same. Um, my understanding is that the 296 GT3, which has not turned a wheel in racing, has already outsold both of those. Wow. Uh, and they may have a order book or a pre-order book at least uh, that might well have topped 200 cars. Now, to give you a, a for instance on that, what I did get from a very senior member of the team and someone who's responsible for someone all that. really old is what you're saying. Like 90. <laughs> is that level of demand is broadly speaking what they were expecting over five years. Now that is the impact of two or three things. It's the impact of a new Ferrari. It's the impact of a new Ferrari where there's been a focus on reducing the cost per kilometre for that car over the 488, which was by far, uh, by the way, the most expensive car cost per kilometre. And it's also the result of, of course, ACO Reels, Reels Racing opening up to GT3 uh, race cars. And that will have unlocked uh, a fair amount of it as well. So... Uh, another truly exciting new car, uh, one of a number of cars that's going to be with us um, in 
the next few, well, we've already seen the Porsche. We've seen the Lamborghini. The new Evo 2 car will be at Daytona as well. Following on from that in 24, we've got the new Corvette. We've got the new Mustang. We've got teams galore trying to second-guess the marketplace as to what the best route is going to be to um, to to get a, a relationship which will take them to the races they want to get to. That's, by the way, without the new Toyota that's on the way in for 24 as well. We've seen that car. And, you know, remains to be seen whether or not and where that will be badged as a Lexus or a Toyota. But that, another exciting new uh, vehicle coming. Um, Scion. The question, though, I want it to be badged as a Scion, <laughs> Absolutely. says the guy who was a former Scion factory team owner, uh, that the budget, although was it budget or lifestyle? I forget what it was that Toyota the reason Toyota created Scion here is a brand that lasted, I don't know, maybe a decade in the state. It was a youth brand, wasn't it? Was it a youth yeah, brand? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Although I kind of... It was, it was kind of parallel to the GM Saturn bit, but the Saturn yeah. bit was very much more about about cheap. Scion was more style, if, you, if that's not kind of cutting through everybody's marketing plans. Apologies if I am. And I but, love the fact that we're talking about stuff that's been gone for a long time. So for any, <laughs> any younger fan, they're like, okay, what grandpa's shut up. Um, but yes. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Joel Cal- Calari says, by the way, um, Ferrari had to remove the hybrid system for the street car to make the GT3 296, which indeed they did have to do. Um, do you think hybrid GT3s could be a future version of LMGT Pro? Well, first things first, that 296 GTB was the first supercar I've driven with a hybrid drive. And boy, oh boy, was that impressive. Uh, absolutely starts on electric, uh, runs um, to a certain point on electric, and then the, the V6 engine cuts in. Utterly, completely seamless. Absolutely magical. Um, fantastic technology. Uh, but Joe's right in that oh, we've had this conversation before, haven't we, MP, about at what points does GT racing adopt hybrid technology? Because it's significantly more difficult, isn't it, to put a spec hybrid system into a GT car when it's original equipment in those cars on the street. And we've already got I mean, multiple cars that have uh, made their way to um racing and we've well, the the acura the um, nsx uh and in fact the new for 2023 uh, mclaren altura the gt4 car another car with hybrid drive that won't have that uh, but it's i guess similar to a number of cars that that come as standard with four-wheel drive that can't in gt3 but there is a question that there needs to be a road towards that the problem is that it gives them nightmares for things like um, a balance of performance, doesn't it? Um, that, you know, if you've got the the opportunity to range extend with a hybrid drive or whatever it is, or where that traction goes down, or as we're going to see, it seems at least under consideration with GTP, full EV starts from the pit lane, which is a significant advantage uh, for uh those cars that can do it against those cars that don't. I, I can remember MP of a little bit of a tangent, a conversation uh, about the advantages the Toyota had over the non-hybrid LMP1s 
that there was a significant and measurable one and a half second advantage in the pits by a um, gearless uh, hybrid start, a EV start for the car. You know, the, the, the thing would fire off the jacks, you drop it off the track, jacks, and it starts on electric. And that had to be adjusted in the equivalence of technology because it was deemed to be, you know, an unfair advantage, if you like, over standard technology. So it's that kind of level of performance that you can see coming just from, I'm not going to say a relatively simple piece of tech. I, I think that's a really interesting area of questioning for the the powers that be. When are we going to get to the stage where you bite the electrification bullet in GT racing? Because it seems to me that the only solutions they've got to that are to jump straight to a parallel electric GT uh, set of regulations. And nobody appears to be making particularly rapid progress with that. That that seems to be something where you've got DTM with their project and you've got the FIA with their project. And, you know, we keep seeing renders and we keep seeing prototypes and we keep seeing, you know, statements and then there's no racing. Uh, and I don't know, uh, maybe someone needs to be brave. Maybe somebody needs to just bite that bullet and give something a bit of a try, whether or not it's something that's a bit close to production cars uh, to prove the concept. But um, as to uh, whether or not it could be with Hybrid GT3, a future version of G LMGT Pro is what Joe's actually asking. Could be. I think, as I think I said last week, tell me if I'm wrong here, MP, the proof of whether or not there will ever be a GT, a Pro GT class in um, the WC again and at Le Mans again is going to be how successful IMSA can make GTD Pro. If it's a smash hit, watch this space. If it, it stays at the levels it's currently at, which is fine, by the way, the answer is no, and it's no for the very specific reason that they can fill their grids anyway. Remember when Acura debuted its NSX GT3 in speaking with Acura slash Honda Performance Development about this fact, and I'm trying to remember, was that... 2017 when that debuted it might have been 16 again i apologize for not remembering the exact year but long enough ago right so this is actually something that took place a considerable amount of time uh, uh, in the past and their need to comply with gt3 regulations involved what you mentioned removing the bespoke uh, hybrid element the ers system within the production NSX. And they did that, again, obviously to comply, um, participated, a lot of success over here with the car, right? Still going and whatnot. But back then, at least, Graham, it was a unique concession to be made by a high-performance supercar-producing uh, auto manufacturer. Fast forward five years or so, whatever the exact period is since that car was introduced, it's now far more common for an NSX-type uh, supercar road car to come with bespoke yeah. ERS in it. And so I do think we're going to have to have a very, very serious conversation, WEC, SRO, IMSA, anybody <clears throat> that is plugged into this, 
GT3 formula and however it might evolve in the future, I think there's going to have to be a pretty serious conversation. Now, granted, when you go buy your Porsche 911, whatever, uh, 992.1 or 2 version road car, uh, it's not spec with uh, ERS and it's not a hybrid. I'm not saying that when you go and buy your Lamborghini, your uh, Mercedes AMG, GT3, whatever, that these things are all this day hybrid. But I would say, I would have to imagine, Graham, we're not too far from that becoming the norm, right? Uh, more than just one or two manufacturers, but enough to where there would need to be serious consideration of, you know, <laughs> it's one thing when one mark shows up and we say, all right, you got to delete the, uh, the ERS to comply and fall in line with everybody else. When you get to three, four, five, uh, I would say at least 50% of the brands competing are all now offering or, or making bespoke in those same road car versions uh, that those are hybrids. That's where the sport has to evolve because you cannot, you know, under any form of logic say, okay, we're now asking a bunch of you to take out what is becoming this common road car technology, take that out to go racing. That no longer fits the mission for what, those manufacturers are trying to do and sell and promote. So I don't know the exact year. It's obviously mm-hmm. not 2023, but it feels like we're not too far away from all the major sanctioning bodies having to revisit their approach and allow uh, ERS into uh, the whatever they call their GT3-based formulas. And there's one other piggyback thing to that too, Graham, yep. which is how might that affect manufacturers approach to which categories they play in yeah very fortunate of course porsche again right we're going to see them next year in gt3 based competition final year with gte am over in WEC, and we're going to have these 963 gtp slash lmdh cars competing great we can say the same thing about acura we can say the same thing about bmw cadillac's the only exception we know that there's still the GM family-related Corvette racing program. Um, the the CAR is not in its road version or race version hybrid, but for and we can obviously add in all the uh, the uh, WC hypercar manufacturers. When you start off opening the door to hybridization in their core GT products, I think and this is a part. I don't know. Maybe we close on this. Um, this is a part I'd love to get your thoughts on. You open that door because right now it's limited strictly to the very top class. You open that door in the GT level. How many folks playing in LMDH slash GTP say, oh, well, yeah, we do like going for the overall wins, but I don't know. Maybe we just refocus our marketing and promotions on the hybridization of our true road cars instead of spending a buttload of money to uh, try and also do that in uh, the top tier prototype class. That's the only risk I feel, and I'm sure others see as well, is open that door to GT hybridization. How many manufacturers in the prototypes go, ah, maybe we shift our strategy to GT? Um, I'll I'll just fill in with one quick uh, answer to a question asked in two different ways by two different people, uh, both of whom we know. Uh, First is from Adam Weller. Hi, Adam. Uh, a fellow commentator and he's uh, somebody who's done a bit of writing for Daily Sports Guy in the past. What? And the other one is a guy, I, 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 there's a name, 
I'm not sure how you pronounce this. Spink, 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 spinker, pumpily, spinker, Spencer Pumpelli. It is. We're getting all the stars at the moment, aren't we, on Weekend Sports Cars? Spinker, uh, which I believe is, is Dutch for murderer of men. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the translation. Both of them asking questions about the Ferrari 333 SP. Um, Spencer Pompelli saying, was the 333 SP that long ago? This is reference to the fact this is the first uh, Ferrari factory entered uh, prototype, top class prototype for 50 years. And Adam, does the 333 SP not count towards that 50 year statistic because it was run by privateers? Correct. Uh, never was a Ferrari factory car, uh, factory run car. That last one was the 312P in 1973, as I recall, a world championship level. Um, so was the 333 SP that long ago? No, Spence, it wasn't. It was It was. Uh, it can't have been that long ago because I do remember Alec Manish driving one at the uh, 24 Hours at Daytona and again not winning a watch, which would be... Every time he raced at the Euro Look, yeah, that is a so. successful, unbroken streak that we do not honor yep. enough. I don't uh, think so. We yep. we head into 2023 hoping that streak continues, unblemished, <laughs> untarnished with success. His wrist, his wrist is untroubled by the weight of a Rolex. Yes. Unsullied by uh, Daytona timepieces, the Alan McNish story. <laughs> Evening, Al. Uh, let's move on how long we got i mean now but yeah uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh let's see well let's do a bit of a grab bag you want to grab a couple for the remaining sure uh, there's a lot more i Stop do apologize my bag. Lot here. uh let's see thomas schmett says hey mp and graham just got back from the fia motorsports games three long days of taking pictures and writing articles this event was besides f1 the biggest thing i've ever seen what is your take on it and do you think it will take, it will get a firm hold like Stefan Rattel envisions? I can tell you, Thomas, I unsubscribed from the daily <laughs> email nonsense that I was getting for far too long from whomever is handling PR for the FI Motorsport Games. Um, didn't watch it. Didn't follow it. Don't give a fart. So it uh, doesn't mean it's bad, wrong, or anything like that. just means that uh, for things that interest me, it does not fall into that category. What about you, Graham? You hopefully um, can say uh, something really nice to make Thomas feel like sending in this question was worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yes and no. Um, I was at the – I was I did the, both the original Nations Cup in Bahrain and then I did the first motorsport games, which was at Valenia in Rome uh, just pre-COVID. <sighs> I'm a massive fan of the the Olympic ideal and and the way in which the vast majority of the sportsmen and women of the world address that. I think it's a fine thing. I think sports as a a force to unite is a marvelous thing. And I think the idea behind this is a sound one. I think where it starts to fall to pieces is where you've got some really truly grassroots stuff going on. And then the wish to integrate effectively a rebranded version of something that already exists commercially. And and at a point in a year where most people have spent their budget. And that's why I think we saw things like the GT racing 
so badly um, subscribed to its 13 cars, way down on what we saw in Valencia. Uh, we lost the endurance race, which was supposed to be GT3 and LMP3. Principally, my understanding is because the cars need to run on Pirelli's because that's a partnership for the FI Motorsport Games. And, of course, there's nowhere else that the cars run on Pirelli's, which means you need testing, which is expensive. Blah, 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 blah. Rocky agrees, the, by the way. Thanks, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with the concept. I think they were overly ambitious. Drifting, this year. Uh, esports, karting, yeah. uh, GT3 yeah. vehicles, and mm. I feel like I'm forgetting one other th- uh, junior open wheel uh, as well. Yeah, F4, the, the, which, by the way, uh, I'm spooling back to um, the previous questions, uh, a unique F4 platform invested in, by the way, from Port by Paul Ip, yep. uh, the owner of KCMG. It's the only hybrid uh, F4 chassis. He built those cars specifically for the FI Motorsport Games. They've not raced at all since Valonia before COVID. Um, so good for him because I think that is a good way to do it. Uh, I think it needs another look. Uh, it's a very crowded calendar. You know, the reality was I was there with three people who were with me in Valonia were not in Port Record because we were all at the Ferrari do um, at Imola. And that's never not going to be a problem. There's always going to be something else that draws people's attention. And for me, I'd, I'd like to see the FI Motorsport Games developed from a lower basis. Let's make this effectively like a youth games. That, I think, has got real validity. I think it, it, it gives you the opportunity to focus in on some of the subplots about diversity, which are certainly there and certainly very valid. But actually trying to push that forward into some kind of spin-off of the GT World Challenge Europe or WTCR, uh, whatever else it is, it doesn't quite work right now. There may be a time for that. I don't think it's now, uh, but I would absolutely get behind a festival that allowed a diverse number of national sporting authorities to send their best and brightest, you know, uh, to a multi-platform event in a single venue uh, for two, three, four days in a place they'd like to go to get some attention and to get some mentoring and to get some 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 taste of glory to encourage them to push further i don't think it 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 welds well with effectively a marginally with absolute respect to those concerned here marginally dumbed down version of another existing event and you know there might well have been some great racing and there's some lovely people involved there but it didn't quite work for me as a package and I think that's why they they went too far too fast, and there's not a lot between the elite side of things at one end and the grassroots side of things at the other. I think they need to think again about the format. I think it can be done better. I'm not criticising the way this was uh, was put out and publicised and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I think the format needs a thought. Uh, and I think they need to look potentially at the way in which the Olympics on which this is based uh, pushes and promotes itself and how that's expanded. It went too far. 
uh, too many additional events this year and it lost me because the things I was interested in, you could kind of scroll through 13 other things to find it. Uh, and that was where it went a little bit wrong for me. You know, I like the vision. I, I do think there's something there that needs to be built upon, but I, I think it lost its way in trying to recover uh, in th the games we lost to COVID and in trying to expand it just too rapidly. The COVID That's games. You know, I should also say to Thomas, um, first of all, hopefully you rarely take anything I say seriously because it's all kind of half-witted or being said with a lot of sarcasm. Um, the reason I didn't care about it, don't care about it, didn't follow it, has no meaning for me, is not because I have some highly formed opinion on it and arrived at those conclusions. It's because, it's not an excuse, it's just sharing truth, I am always days to weeks behind <laughs> on getting the things done that I need to do professionally as a writer, talker, whatever, monkey guy uh, in the sport these days. And so the free time to spectate, uh, to follow and look at, watch and follow along with things like the FIA Motorsports games. It truly just doesn't exist. So that's yeah. why I don't care about it and have okay. no positive. That's, and that's right. fair enough. That's, that's, that's just sharing enough. the truth. That So I'm jealous uh, of you and others that have the ability uh, to do that. Just And this is not a complaint. It's not a, oh, woe is me. I'm just saying, like, today's my day off. I'm trying to yeah. do more, like, three-day weekends as possible. And even now I'm staring at a to-do list where once we are done with this show here, Graham, yep. I have six other items on this on my day yep. off and I'm still legitimately weeks behind on stuff. Uh, I'm still needing to do so. And you and me both. And yeah. I think, I think so the, modern, just the different modern place in the sport, exactly different that, angle. That's all, you know, it is. Uh, I can add one other thing because it was a, a debating point that one of our journalistic colleagues brought to the internet um, where they were offering the opinion that it was what, why it didn't work for them was that in the GT race, you had, let's say, a Belgian driver uh, with a French team with a German car. That There's a million and one reasons why I would point a finger and say we could improve that. That's not one of them. And the reason it's not one of them is if you look at elite sport on a global basis, there is a huge number of very legitimate examples of elite sports people being coached by people who are not from their nation, using equipment that was not built in their nation, you know, with a support team that has got professionals that are not from their nation. This is about the athlete. That's the point. The whole point of something that is awarding a medal to an individual is you're rewarding the sporting effort of the athlete. So with absolute respect to the point of view, I fundamentally disagree that you can only really have something if, you know, it's it's that, you know, all German, all British, all French, all American uh, squad. No, it doesn't work like that. And by the way, with the ideal that you're setting out for this, which is to try to draw in as many emerging talents and nations as you possibly can, that would exclude a vast number of potential competitors in a vast number of arenas. So look at the, you know, it's the sports person not the ball in this instance that you should be looking at. 
yeah, it's, it's like, you know, Audi did not win the GT race. Dries Rantour and Charles Vetz won uh, the GT race. You know, it's that. That's the um, that's the the point we should be making here is that it's it's about the athletes and not the equipment they're using. That's that's just my point of view, and I think from the debate that was stimulating with a couple of people, it was worth mentioning that. MP, are we about at the end of your tether? We're done. <laughs> Dun done. No, it's all good. I uh, just truly, I got other things I got to do. So no, that's uh, fine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you as the official taker homer of the show and the closer of the show, uh, you're the relief pitcher. You're all kinds of things. Um, take us I'm on. the athlete from Kazakhstan and the karting relay. Yes. That's what I am. Uh, so we're going to say thank you so much. And, and with particular apologies, another bumper bundle of, um, of, of questions again. And once again, a professional athlete, Spencer Pompelli this time, has taken the shine off Murderer. you real fans out there from having your questions answered. So if you do see Spencer in the paddock anywhere, do make it clear how much you loathe that aspect of his character. Um, thanks again to Daniel Summers Gill for putting those together. Please do keep doing this. Uh, we do enjoy reading your thoughts and your questions, and it is opening doors to people to come and welcome to this sport. We're going to say thank you as well, of course, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. And in particular, thanks, as always, to you, Marsha Pruitt, for brightening my evening. That's what you always do. I do love doing the, the week in sports cars. It's a bright, bright star in the sports car racing galaxy at the moment. Um, he's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. This has been the Week in Sports Cars podcast, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast collection. We will be with you next week.